So church family gathered, amazing love, good to see you. Let's pray together, ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments where we get to hear your voice. Now we ask you to accomplish the purpose for which you send your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so who is Jesus to you? If you were to fill in the blank, Jesus is, what would be the answer? It's interesting all the different answers that are available in this world. To some, Jesus was the first influencer, even before Instagram. In fact, as you look at the top 100 influential people, Jesus always makes that list along with Aristotle and Alexander the Great and Albert Einstein. To some, he's an inspiration. And so he's inspired a lot of different art. I remember going to the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, last year, they had an Andy Warhol exhibit. And Andy Warhol wasn't known for being very uh, Christian, very religious, though Catholic in name. But even he was drawn to the cross. So for some, he's inspiration. To other people, he's a really, really good teacher. And so it's hard not to pick up on the goodness of the golden rule, which is what we got from Jesus. We should love other people as we want to be loved. We pick up on the need for forgiveness and kindness and leading in those areas. And so many people would accept Jesus is a great teacher. But when it comes to who Jesus actually is, I love how a man named C.S. Lewis led us into the conversation. I want to share a quote with you from a book called Mere Christianity um, about who Jesus is. And uh, uh, it's a little long, but I really love these words, so bear with me. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, made me laugh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. C.S. Lewis knew exactly what was revealed in the Bible about Jesus, and he came to the conclusion he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. As we look at the Bible, especially in the New Testament, people of that day, Jesus' day, they were willing to accept him as a teacher. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't like that he was stealing the crowds. They were jealous of that. But what they could not bear up with is his claim to be Lord. In fact, there was this time when he was talking to the Pharisees and he revealed this about himself. He says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And he is no other claiming than he is God. The great I am of Exodus chapter 3, when, when God met with Moses in the burning bush, he claims to be Yahweh, the Lord. And their reaction? They wanted to stone him, and he had to slip through the crowds. 
One time he proved that he was a God because he rose Lazarus from the dead. And it was then that they were set out against to, to remove him as he displayed his godlike power. In, in fact, in, in, in court, the kangaroo court, when he was put on trial, when he said he was the Son of God, that's what led them to yell, crucify. But where are people today? And there's a part of me that wonders, why do people still want Jesus to be just a man? Why do they still want him to be less than God, just a teacher, just an influencer, just an inspiration? And I guess I came to this conclusion. That if Jesus is Lord, I can't be. See, see, we all want to beat to our own drum. We, we all want to uh, follow our own voice. And, and if what Jesus said is true, it means there is no other option to accept him as the authoritative voice in our life. The one who has the right to tell us, no, this is right and this is wrong regardless of what you think about it. The, the one who has the right to direct us. But in this series, I guess what I'm hoping is that at the end of it, you, you see more clearly why he deserves to be Lord. That maybe you came here and, and you already filled in the blank, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Maybe that was your fill-in. That, that you have with a clearer perspective why he's the only one who can be. And so we're getting to this series called Jesus Is. And we're going to look at some beautiful nuances of what he said he is. And today, we talk about him as substitute. Today, we see him tempted by the devil. Now, a, a bit of history. Uh, does anyone know why we call this season Lent? Anyone think they have an understanding of why it's called Lent? Who's fairly confident they know why it's called Lent? Ah, I have a teaching moment then. Do you know that Lent is actually a reference to 40 days? Uh, that it's the Latin term for 40 days. And actually, 40 comes up quite a bit in the Bible. Uh, 40 days of the flood, 40 days before the destruction of Nineveh, 40 days from uh, the resurrection to the ascension of Jesus, and also 40 days that Jesus was tempted in the desert. In fact, Lent is supposed to kind of mirror Jesus uh, fasting and praying and avoiding temptation. And that's what has led many Christians into uh, giving up meat on Fridays, which, by the way, you don't have to do if you're part of this church. That's, that's not what we do. You can eat a burger. Uh, but you can fast. You, you can um, say, I'm going to go without this or that. Um, and, and it can be a great spiritual exercise uh, when done properly, remembering what Jesus did for us. It can be a really good thing. But Lent is a reference actually to this account where Jesus is being tempted by the devil for 40 days. And yet what we see in this account? So much more than an example to fast. So much more than an example to avoid temptation. What we see in this account? He's Lord. He wins. The devil is no match for Jesus. So let's hear this word. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear Matthew's account of Jesus being tempted in the desert. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city. Had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Isn't it kind of scary? The devil knows the word of God probably better than we do, right? He's twisting it for his own purposes. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. It's a powerful account, this battle that's going on. Uh, Before you sit down, could you just say to your neighbor out loud that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Please be seated. I don't know if uh, you know any 80s wrestlers. For me, 80s wrestlers were quite the characters, and there are a few that uh, stick out in my mind. Uh, I just wanted to share with you, uh, you know, some great nostalgia of 80s wrestlers. Uh, There is uh, Jake the Snake. Uh, This is just an interesting expression with a snake, I think. Um, There is uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, which is hard to say. It's a tongue twister. Uh, Rowdy Roddy. Um, There is uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, who you know if you've uh, snapped into a Slim Jim, okay? Um, There is Andre the Giant, um, great and famous from the Princess Bride movie, which all Christians love. And, of course, this would not be a complete list of 80s wrestlers without the closer, Hulk Hogan, right? Right, absolutely. The man famous for uh, being strong enough to rip cotton. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so it's just, just great, great, uh, you know, taking you back. And, and something that uh, I, I always enjoyed were the tag team matchups. Uh, the concept of a tag team is that uh, you not only get one wrestler, but you get two of them. And if you're not doing so well in the ring, uh, even if you just crawl and get there, even if you just hold out like a finger, uh, you can tag in someone to get that person. And, and, and I had some fun thinking about like, who would you want to tag in if you weren't doing so well in the ring? Um, and, and for me, I went, I thought uh, having a giant would be really, really cool. Now, There is a reason I bring this up, and it has a spiritual concept, so please go with me here. There was a battle that Adam and Eve faced that didn't go so well for them. And we learned about that in our first lesson. They were in the ring with the devil. The devil was strong, and they fell to his lies. Want to be like God? Absolutely. Let's eat the fruit. But what we have in this account, we have the ultimate tag team. We have what heaven arranged to tag in, and being tagged into this account, it is not Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant. What we have now is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, trying to do the same thing with the same opponent. And it goes completely different. And so what we find, the big revelation for today, is this first takeaway, that Jesus, as our substitute, overcame temptation for us, overcame temptation for Adam and Eve, overcame temptation for all those who have ever fallen. He does this for those on Friday night who figure, you know what, Uh, it's been a long week and I need to blow off some steam and we're led into sin. He does this for for those who rationalize and say, well, you know what, Um, I'm just tired so I can be short with so-and-so. 
He does this for all the people who haven't always put God in the number one position of their lives. And it's amazing. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is one of the three major components of your salvation. Now, the the first major component of salvation uh, you might even be wearing, we see it all the time, it is the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus was necessary to be our substitutional payment for sin. But that's just part of salvation, that he would pay our punishment. Another important part is what he's doing here. That he would be born under the law, tempted in every way, but found without sin. And this is something that Jesus didn't just do three times. In fact, an interesting note, do you know he was being tempted for the whole 40 days? That scripture reserves three of them for us, but he was doing this for the whole 40 days. And let me take it further. He was doing this every day that he lived. He had to be tempted in every way, in every stage of life, and yet found without sin. And because he didn't give in, through faith in him, through faith we receive that perfection. The third part of our salvation, which we will celebrate uh, April 4th this year, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he rose and he conquered death. And it's these three things that make up the primary reason of our salvation. His substitutionary death, substitutionary perfect life, and his resurrection is the reason we're saved. Why should he be Lord? Who else has done this for you? Who else can pay for the sins? Who else can be perfect in your place? And who else has conquered death? There is only one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. If you're watching online, if you're new to this message, I just pray that the Spirit would sink this message into your soul. But something I love is learning from the Word of God. And I think there are some takeaways that we can learn from uh, based on the approach the devil had in tempting Jesus. And and so I think I I, want to talk a little bit about what we can learn from what he does here with Jesus. Now, to talk about this, I wanted to know, um, do you know anyone who gets hangry? Hangry. Raise your hands if you know anyone who gets hangry. Don't point, don't don't elbow bump, but do you know a hangry, hangry person? And uh, Snickers has made this really famous, you know, uh, uh, you're not you when you're hungry. Um, back to more 80s stuff, I pity the fool that doesn't give Mr. T a Snickers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, hangry is a thing. And, and I wonder what makes you hangry. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, you're awaiting a doctor's appointment. You have to do the physical or whatever it is. You can't eat and so you're hangry because you have to fast. Uh, maybe for some, it's you are so busy you missed a meal. And then you get to this point where you're really irritable because you know you don't have the energy you need. You missed a meal. It's too busy. For some of you, you usually eat at 5 and it's 6 o'clock and you haven't eaten yet, right? And you know who you are. And, um, and I guess I'll bring this up because what, what I'm uh, amazed at is what Jesus does. So it says, he fasted. How many days can you say that day? Forty. Forty. <laughs> And you're like, I missed a meal and I'm hangry, right? It's just crazy. 40 days of fasting. Now, by the way, in Scripture, he's not the only one. Um, Elijah, Moses also fasted 40 days. 
Um, I, I'm not sure this is like a vision board life goal, but it has been done. But if you get cranky, angry, and hungry, which is hangry, if you get cranky after missing a meal, think of how irritable Jesus had the right to be. Right? Uh, think of how uh, low energy excuse he could have given as far as uh, why he just can't deal with the devil right now. Uh, think also of the incredible self-control he had to have had for the devil's first temptation. So the devil comes up and says, hey, that stone would make a better loaf of bread, right? And, and, and that's what I appreciate in, in, in this world. Some things never change, which is the good of, of carbs, right? Some good bread. And by the way, Panera's back today. Um, the, the good of a fresh-baked loaf of bread, right? We, we, we see that goodness, and what a temptation that would have been for Jesus. But here's what he proves as our substitute and as Lord. He displays perfect self-control. Now, we need this because here's what we sometimes do. We sometimes make excuses for why we fell. When talking about what we did, sometimes we say, yeah, I know I said that, I know that was wrong, but if you would have heard what they said first, if you would have seen what they did first, then you would have known why I said that. Right? Or sometimes uh, because we're hangry or because we didn't get a night of sleep, yeah, I, I know I was mean, but come on, I, I didn't get a, a wink last night. The, the kids were up and it was so busy at work, come on, like... Or maybe, maybe our, our temptation uh, against self-control um, is that it just feels right. You think of Adam and Eve as they look at that fruit, and it just feels like the right thing to do. In fact, th there's this proverb even that, that says that like stolen water is sweeter, and, and we've um, acclimated that to say forbidden fruit is sweeter, right? And, and so sometimes, here's the interesting thing about temptation, when we give in to that moment, it feels like it was the right thing to do. And so we need a perfect substitute. One who could feel exactly that way but say, no, 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 that's, that's not right. And do this for you and I. But there's more. As we get into the second temptation, I want to talk about relying on people's strength. And maybe relying on their strength too much. I don't know if you've ever done a group project in high school and, and maybe um, you're the person that the whole group is relying on. And, and you feel the pressure uh, of getting the A because they're just kind of tailing off. But, but you're there, so they're just saying, well, well, you can handle it. And all the while you're like, what if I get it wrong? A lot of pressure. Or maybe you've been at work and, and people really praise you for doing such and such. You're always so good at mm, mm, mm. Uh, maybe people are in a mood and they say, well, I'm, I'm so glad I can come to you because you're always just happy-go-lucky. Nothing ever goes wrong in your life. And you're like, uh, I just keep it together better? Or maybe at, with children, uh, our children rely on our strength. And so uh, let, let's say a toddler is, is running for the door. And, um, and so we are trying to keep them from going outside or, or maybe it's going towards the pool. And, and so they, they know as, as often as I run, you're going to catch me, mom or dad, Right? You're know, like, I'm exhausted. Please stop making this a game. Just trying to protect you. 
I bring this up because the devil comes and says, well, don't you know, God is strong. If you throw yourself down, he's going to get you. You can rely on him. He has angels to protect you. And, and what does Jesus say in response? Don't test it. Yes, in a superior way, he's better than that student. He's better than that coworker. He's better than mom or dad. Yes, he's superior, but don't test it. And so Jesus is our perfect substitute um, because he didn't test God. And I was thinking about how this hits the road for you and I, and I think there's a very real application here. Let me try to give you the nuance. I hope you get it. And nod like this if you don't get it, nod like this if you do get it. So here's the nuance. We live by the promises of God, and we love them, right? And some of you know the promises of provision, and you live by that promise of provision, right? You live by the fact that God feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers. You live by the fact that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging bread. And that is a bankable truth. But should you have a household budget? Should you beware of your spending habits? Can you do and buy whatever you want without regard because, well, God, he, he promised to provide. Here was an interesting one during COVID. We bank on the fact that God has ordained all of our days before one of them came to be. He's the one who planned our birthday and the day when we see him again. He is the one who has fearfully and wonderfully made us. He is the healer God. Bankable truths. Should we still care about how we handle our bodies? Should we still be aware of what might be a good thing and a bad thing to do when it comes to bodily health? Do you see this? Final one, we bank on the fact that God is a forgiving God. There are mercies new every morning. As far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed our sins, Lord, I thank you. I can come to you. You're going to forgive. Does that mean when tempted we shouldn't fight hard? Oh, I don't like this. Oh, it doesn't feel well to fight. Oh, God would just want me to be happy. He's overcome anyway. Did you get the nuance? We so often live by the promises of God, but those promises do not lead us into fatalism, this idea that it's going to happen, whatever. He has given us stewardship, the ability to manage our minds, the ability to manage our time in a way that should also give him great glory. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Martin Luther had a great quote on this. He said, if the devil doesn't succeed in robbing us of confidence in God, he will go to the extreme to make us way too daring. Beware. But there's a final temptation. And this one for many Christians is a head-scratcher. How can Jesus worship the devil? And how can the devil have power to give him the kingdoms? What, what, what pastor is going on here? Here's what I think is going on here. The devil and Jesus know the path of salvation. And Jesus knows that it's going to take the cross. And even in the desert, I believe that the crown of thorns, the flogging, the crucifixion, is just as real to Jesus as it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And in the Garden of Gethsemane, that thought was so extreme that, remember Jesus, what he said. He said, Jesus, or he said, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. Could, could you take this from me? Could you take this from me? What is the devil offering Jesus right now? To take it from him. He's offering a different path. Jesus, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be rejected. You don't have to wear the thorns and the flogging. There's another way. Jesus, yeah. You can have all the kingdoms and still rule if you just obey me. But Jesus doesn't listen. And Jesus wins. And so what we learn about this is that Jesus kept God first. That must have been a powerful temptation to give basically the answer of what he wanted in the garden. And yet regardless of how much he'd like to avoid all the pain and suffering, he says, this wasn't the plan. God has to come first. It's his voice I listen to. Do you see why he deserves to be Lord? He is the one who handled these temptations that we fall so prey to, but did it perfectly all the time. And I want you to know if, that you're, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in him, you are credited that righteousness. This battle that he won, it was for you. For you to know you're holy. For you to know you have won. For you to know you are a child of God. Hallelujah and amen. But before we go, a couple takeaways. You know, I had in my mind what it is to, to battle as I see this big spiritual battle. And, and when it comes to war, I don't know what imagery comes to your mind. Uh, for me, sometimes it's those battle lines that are drawn uh, where you have swords and spears and they're going to rush at each other. Um, that movie 1917 where he's carrying a gun and he's running and giving the message that comes to mind. And probably one of the biggest pictures that always comes to mind is this, um, the storming of Normandy Beach. And I want you to imagine yourself going to war, whatever your war picture is, spears and swords, this, whatever. And they're sending you out, but you don't have any weapons. So they're sending you out. You're, you're on Normandy Beach, but you don't have a gun. They're sending you out. You have the message to give. In 1917, you're running, but you have nothing to protect yourself. You're, you're going. You're charging the other enemy, but you don't have a sword or a spear. It's just you. That would be an unwise thing and fairly terrifying. Go with me here on a spiritual plane. We know, hallelujah, Jesus has won the war. Yes? Salvation was completed when he died and said, it is finished. He has won the war. This is our assurance. And yet, has the battle ceased? Is the devil still very real in your life, battling with you and waging war on your soul? Does he still want you to be disconnected with the goal of getting you away from God forever? Yes or no? So my question is, what weapon are you bringing to war? Or is it possible you wake up a lot of days rushing into battle with nothing? 
Because what is so interesting is that here Jesus gives us the ultimate tool. Here Jesus tells every one of us what we do to win the war. When, when the devil was tempting three times like clockwork for our sake, he gave the same words. Every time tempted, he said, he say those words, it is written. And what's so interesting to me is that as Jesus, he could have like used superpower, you know, strength in order to defeat the devil. He could have done a miracle to defeat the devil, but he's using the same ordinary tools that we have in order to win. The same tool Jesus used is the same tool available to you as you battle, as you go to war. And, and so here is a takeaway. I don't think we can fight temptation without knowing what is written. I just don't. And an amazing love, if you've been here a year, I'm hoping that you've heard, read your Bible. <laughs> um, I'll say it again, read your Bible. And there are many reasons to do so. Uh, number one is seeing how cool God is and getting to know him as Lord and Savior. But here, also an essential part is I don't know how you battle without the word. I don't know where you're going to go to on those Friday nights of what should I do and what shouldn't I do. I don't know where you go to in high school when the kids are saying, do this. I, I don't know what you have. You might be in battle without the weaponry. You know, Ephesians talks about this weaponry. He says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the same tool Jesus used to win that battle. And a final takeaway. I guess something I really appreciated about Jesus' experience with the devil is this last verse. So the devil left him, and God sent angels who came and attended him. And I know there's a bit of conjecture here, but why did angels need to come to attend Jesus? Why do you think? He's spent. That, that's my guess. He's exhausted. Yes, he won, but that was not easy. Yes, he won, but th that was not a cakewalk. Yes, he won, but it took all that he had, the inertia, and so he needs to be rebuilt according to his humanity because it is hard to fight. But what I find is I'd rather live as a Christian being exhausted from the fight than being energized because I don't fight so well. I'd rather be spent and righteous than excited and unholy. I think we see this dichotomy going on. And so what it means for you as a Christian is if sometimes after a long week of trying to be good or a long day of trying to be good, you have the right to be tired. You do. In fact, that amazing love, sometimes I'm going around and I say, you know, how are you doing? And, and very common, I'm tired. I'm like, you got the right to be tired. But it's a good tired. And I just pray that by the Spirit of God, we would accept the good tired rather than being satisfied and easy and falling prey. So did you see it? Why Jesus deserves to be Lord. No one else could substitute for what he did for us. No one else could do what he did and then credit it to our account. Jesus is Lord. Amen.